0: I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theatre scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theatre scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theatre creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be... Stageworthy. If you value the work that I do on Stageworthy, please consider leaving a donation either as a one-time thing or on a recurring monthly basis. Stageworthy is created entirely by me, and I give it to you free of charge with no advertising or other sponsored messages. Your continuing support helps me to cover the cost of producing and distributing the show. Just four people donating $5 a month would help me cover the cost of podcast hosting alone. Help me continue to bring you this podcast. You can find a link to donate in the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app or at the website at stageworthy.ca. Now, on to the show. Rachel Matumbo is an actor and playwright based in Montreal. She is the writer of Vierge. Natasha Mumba is a Zambian board, Toronto based multidisciplined artist and is the director of Vierge. They joined me to talk about the play, how their partnership came about, and about how they each started pursuing a discipline outside of acting during the pandemic. For Rachel, playwriting; for Natasha, directing. You can see Viage at Toronto's Factory Theatre from April eighth to thirtieth. Here's our conversation. Hello, Rachel. Hi. And Natasha.
1: Hey.
0: Right, awesome. And the show is called Vierge. Is that yeah. do I have that right?
1: Correct. Yeah, exactly. Perfect.
0: As we're getting started, would, would you guys, one of you or both of you, team up whichever you like? Uh, <laughs> tell me um what is Vierge?
1: Oh, let's go to
2: Rachel. Come um, on. Now. I can tell you what it means. So Vierge is French, uh, and it translates to virgin, um, but also it translates to blank or clean. Um, which I think is an important addition to the title. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but Natasha,
2: do you want to talk about no, the I play think you... itself? No, <laughs> oh, I wow.
1: I mean, would you like us to get into this play here?
0: Absolutely, please.
1: Yeah, so this play is set in a Congolese basement of an immigrant community. Um, And it's about four young women navigating adolescence and trying to figure out what it means to be a good Christian girl and try to negotiate themselves around the expectation of their parents. um. But then at the same time, their parents are also not engaging with them in the conversations of, you know, what popular culture puts in their face about sex, about uh, identity and these things. And so they're trying to sort it out under this banner of vierge um, and sort of sorting out who they are. Within that while still trying to maintain some sort of proximity to the to the church, which is kind of tagged in with this idea of
0: being pure.
2: Yeah. See, you explain it way better than me. Every (laughs) time I know I wrote it. You really explained it the best. Oh my god. You know,
0: sometimes sometimes when you write a thing, you need somebody from the outside who can just sort of distill it down and she's
1: already done the good work. I mean, (laughs) I'm just reading off the page.
0: (laughs) Yes. Um, It sounds like, I mean, the way that you're describing it, um, as somebody who grew up in, in fundamentalist churches, Mm -hmm. um, I know like just from your description, I know girls like this. Mm -hmm. I know people, uh, who struggled to, 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 to both like be, uh, pure to be virgins, uh, while also trying to struggle with, with, with the world around them. And, and, and again, not having parents that were willing to talk about this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Before we get into, um, how the two of you came together with this show, I'm curious about the, uh, the inspiration, the, the, the impetus to create this play.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I, I am Congolese, uh, and I grew up in the church, uh, and I had the interesting experience. So I grew up in, um, this area in Montreal called the West Island, and it's a suburb on the island of Montreal that at the time when I was growing up in the nineties, early two thousands, was predominantly white. Um, so when my family came to Canada, they first were at a church that was primarily Congolese people. And that's where I mostly grew up. And that's where I spent my Sundays. And then at some point we shifted and went to a church that was closer to our home. So a church that was in the West Island. So that was like a quite mostly white church. I think there may be a few black families. There wasn't much. Um, and then eventually we ended up going back to the Congolese church and in any case, like these are the communities that I kind of grew up in. And there was always such um interest for me in the way that my identity fluctuated. And even though my faith was the same, how I was a different person being in those different environments in those different communities mm-hmm. were all there to love Jesus and, you know, <laughs> all that jazz. But <laughs> it was different being yeah. around like other Congolese people right. versus being, you know, in the West Island and being around um predominantly white people. It was a bit more like how I was at school and how I was just kind of a different person. Um So yes, yeah, so that's kind of where it started for me, just exploring the difference in my identities. I'm someone who, whenever people ask me where I'm from, I always struggle to answer because I'm like, uh, wh- what do you mean? <laughs> do you mean like where I'm from originally? Or do you mean like, it, it freaks me out, but it's because it's a layered question for me. Like my identity is not just one thing. And so that's kind of where the play started for me. I wanted to explore how. Different identities in one person or in many people intersect in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I put them in a pressure cooker situation of being teenagers <gasps>
0: uh,
2: and being all stuck together every Friday night yeah. <laughs> in this church.
0: Is 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 the church the safe place, the place where, where everybody goes on the Friday night?
1: Safe space. Hey, it's yeah. an interesting word. You know, now that yeah, I say now, it, yeah. I, say no, no, no. it. I, really- I think it's the great. You know I think it's a great word? I think it's a great word because that's what's assumed of those. Well, that's what mm, the perception mm-hmm. is of church, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, we all know what the reality can can be, mm. but sometimes it it, you know, succeeds in those spaces, whether, you know, people mm. I, I think the key word for us here is community. And um, these young mm. women are in, to be perfectly frank find themselves in an unsafe space Mm -hmm. is sort of framed to feel like a safe space. Mm -hmm. uh, But, and they negotiate that. And I think that they tactically, that's not the word. When is it? it? it Yeah. Um, Figure out, I think I pronounced it wrong. Whatever. Life's life's, life's (laughs) short. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, They sort of navigate their own identity, even within that unsafe space. Like there's still the thing that I really like about this piece is that the girls are. Um, they're ambitious and they're mm. trying to solve and they're trying to figure out and they're doing the best that they can with the information that they have and not much help from mm. their parents when it comes to real life situations and things.
0: Well, because it's the parents who are making the assumption that this is a safe space, right? They're yeah. thinking, the you know, we can't have them going out into the like friday night it's a dangerous time we can't have them going up we need to send them to church where it's safe
1: yeah, yeah where their
0: exactly. souls yeah. will be taken care of where yes. they are not yes. get into any trouble yeah. right
2: i feel like that's where a lot of youth groups start it's like yeah. they are always on the weekends mm-hmm. because yep. let's, let's keep the kids
1: off the street yeah friday mm-hmm. night is the night where yeah. everything goes down so <laughs> exactly. yeah absolutely you bring them to church you know yeah, yeah.
2: absolutely
0: um so both of you, uh, 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 you've been working on this together. Uh, Rachel, you're the, the the playwright. Natasha, you're directing. Yeah. How did you guys come together on this project?
1: Um. Do you want me to take it, Rachel? Yeah. Go. Ahead. I'll take the mic. Tell I'll take our the story. Mic. I'll tell our story. <laughs> I love story. Um. So Rachel and I, um, actually, right now we're in the hall that uh we first met in when we were cast in the show called The African Mean Girls Play. Uh, which was directed by the previous artistic director, Nina Le Aquino. And it went up at Buddies in Bad Time. What year was that? Uh, 2019. 2019. Yeah. Um, And I know, life. <laughs> uh, And then a year, so we did that show. And, you know, it's funny because I was just telling people about this, but I remember when we were doing our technical rehearsal uh, for that play, we were all sitting down and Rachel told us, she was like, guys, I'm going to start writing plays for black women. Or I'm going to start <laughs> writing plays for us. And we were like, okay, girl, see, see what happens. <laughs> Uh, And then a year later, she applied to the playwriting unit here at Factory and got in. Um, And I was doing the apprentice artistic directorship here and the directing program. And she started working on this piece then during that time. And then um I got introduced to the piece as um the apprentice and heard a workshop and a reading of it. And then I was asked to direct a workshop. And then I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the play. And then Ra- Rachel graciously had faith in me and it's, uh, and asked me if I would direct her piece. And I was like, are you kidding me? I- yes, it's everything that I care about. <laughs> um, and honestly, it's, it's, it was a combination of two people who gave me a shot. Um, Nina Liakino is my mentor and someone who is so, so, um, About giving people real shots. Mm -hmm. And in Mm -hmm. this industry, it's so important. Very few people do it. It's can Mm. feel very closed. And people have to jump through a lot of hoops in order to Mm. feel like they deserve the shot to direct. And Nina just demystified that space. It has Mm. such this there's a hierarchy that's associated with it. It's like you can't be a director until you know some like vague knowledge about Russia in like a specific (laughs) time. And then you understand what it means to be a director. And so Uh, she killed it. She killed all of that, um, sort of pretense. And so I was allowed to step into the space with confidence from both Nina and Rachel. So it's been, it's been an incredible avenue and an incredible opportunity to get to stretch myself in, in a really safe and encouraging space. Hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, it's such a, it's funny. Like when we think about how we started
2: this and how we got to this moment of us working on this show, because when this first started like when we were doing Schoolgirls, we were both just actors yeah yeah like mm. literally like i you know i made that comment that i don't actually remember saying that but yeah, I, it's funny I know that you don't i know remember that i said it because you said it in another like uh, someone else who was in the cast also reminded me that i yeah, said that so i yeah. know that it's true um but really and truly at the time i was just an act. i was just pursuing yeah. that and you were too yeah and then we both ended up at factory at the same time doing this you know i like to think that you know nina had a she did (laughs) she had a plan the whole time but yeah she absolutely i wrote nina this email uh at the end of 2019 and um i was like hey so that and that happened because jeff ho um is a wonderful friend of mine and i feel Mm. like kind of like my guardian angel when it comes to Mm. playwriting and he was somebody who when i was acting in a play of his he was like if you ever write like send me stuff let's talk about it like he was really really encouraging of me to, to get started with writing. So when I told him I have some ideas for plays, place, he's like, let's go for lunch or dinner or whatever it was. We were having a meal and we were talking about it And I told him my idea about Viage. And he told me, he's like, I think you should reach out to Nina. And I was like, okay. So I went home and I wrote Nina this email. And I was like, I had this idea for a play. I don't know. Like, could there be a spot for me in the foundry? Like, I don't know how it works or whatever. And then Nina's like, let's go for a coffee. And we talked about it. And then, yeah, I got into the foundry. Not knowing that Natasha was going to be the director, you know? (laughs) And then we did that first workshop together and I said to Natasha, I was like, I don't know what the future of this play is going to be, but I want you to direct it. That's a given for me that the premiere of this play be in your hands. I just Mm. knew that there was nobody else. I said to you today, there's nobody else that I can think of in this world who is better suited to direct this play than you. So sweet. So I'm very grateful. (laughs) So am I. It's It's interesting the,
0: how, like you know just reaching out and, and sending an email or like asking asking for you know to be considered to to to, to ask questions to, to to sit down with coffee that sort of thing how how terrifying that is but also how giving some people are that like you just have to ask and they will like yeah. give you time give you space give you you know Sometimes the, the, the steps that you need to, to, to get where you need to go.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't want, the, huh, this feels like a, a praise Nina moment, yeah. but <laughs> honestly, I mean, I, she is the thing that I really respect about her. She's now at the NAC. She's the artistic director there in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And, and she is the kind of person who invests in individuals. Mm-hmm. She invests in artists. Mm-hmm. So she invested in me as an, as an actor. And then she said, "What?" then I told her I, I was interested in something else. And she said, talk to me about that. So it's not, it doesn't feel transactional. Like, oh, you have a piece. There's a black woman of the piece. Great, let's do this. And then you're like, great, thanks for the show and the revenue. Wish you all the best <laughs> and everything. But it's, you know, like yeah. it's a relationship. And she invests in you as a creative artist. Yeah. Um, and sees things in people mm-hmm. too. And I did not, directing was not on my radar. And she was like, you're a director. And if that's something that you're excited or interested in, I can give you the space to explore that. And I and directed her in Lady Sunrise that was produced here hmm. at-, at Factory. And then I was like, oh, I really like this. Yeah. This
2: and you're is- good at it. I say it all the time. Like, when Natasha's, like, working with the actors in the room, I'm like, oh, shoot. Like, I should have been in this show.
1: <laughs> <I'm> right, <though.
2: laughs> I have a small regret. Uh, not asking for a part, but it's fine. <laughs> okay, I'll get over it. <laughs>
0: Natasha, you know you you were saying that that that, that Nina saw something in you when yeah. she suggested that you would that you were a director, yeah, what was your reaction to that? did that feel right or did you fight it like what was no, no, no. How did you know go? what
1: I mean back to that pretense thing, I think that I was scared I was scared about what all of that would mean like would I be able to speak in front of people like and get it together and move through yeah, like I think I just had to fight the initial fear was about feeling like an imposter and then i was in process with her and that really was the gift so i had to make a choice between doing acting and doing this apprentice artistic position and it's crazy because i chose it right before the pandemic and all the gigs i would have done Oof. anyway were, were gonna be idle and so it was actually perfect it was quite and there was just something in my spirit that was telling me i was like you should this is the turn that you need to take like add this on and this opportunity was unique and special to sit under Nina, who's just such a great mentor. And so I, yeah, I was terrified. But like I said, through seeing how she did it, and I think the biggest thing that she gave me, which is like, you have to be yourself. You have to be yourself in the mm. room. And she was like, for me, when I feel like I am pretending to be something else, it is when I do the 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 worst work. Mm. I do the best work when I can laugh, I can be goofy, I can be myself. And then there is a sort of, um, not agility, but there's a sort of strength in that. And it makes, I'm finding I'm very much myself in the room. Rachel will yeah. tell you. <laughs> um, because I also think that the process of creating art also has a pretension to it. You know what I mean? Like there's like, okay, we're going to get in the room and we're going to talk about the work. We're going right. to get into the details. And it's like, you can, you can achieve greatness with kindness. You can achieve greatness with patience. You can agree. Like you can still be. Um, efficient. You can still get things done with joy, with kindness, with, with humor. And so Mm. for me, people taking time out of their lives to create art with me is such a privilege. Mm. It's theater. So we're not, you know, getting paid millions. Mm. We're here because we love it. So if we're going to spend like quality lifetime together to create something, let's find joy in it. Let's find the reason why we're getting up in the morning to come and do this thing. And so. It's, it's, that's a testament of Nina's mentorship. And I'm very grateful for that.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I was having a, a conversation just, just the other day about um, how theater school was like an exercise in fear for me and mm-hmm. a number of people that I went to school with. Because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were late. <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. Yeah. I was fine back when I was in school, they cut people, they cut people every semester. Oh my gosh. A yeah, long, this is in the ancient times and a lot of schools don't do it, but some still do. And, everything everything was fine until that first Christmas break when a bunch of people got cut, got cut. And then uh, after that point, it was like fear all the way through. And you can't make good art in fear. And so I think, and I think it's some people in their directing lives and their professional lives, they operate in fear and, and with fear and they inflict that. And so to hear you describe the kind of rehearsal hall, that that you're creating Natasha it Mm -hmm. sounds like a a very beautiful place and we're a place where good art is is fostered and can flourish
1: yeah Yeah. I hope so I hope so I always say you know art's obviously art is subjective but the process can be good like Mm. to me that's the thing that I can control Mm -hmm. is how we create and so and if I leave the room and I feel good and everyone feels good about themselves and we leave and I'm like yeah the show was like I mean, Mm. I want the show to be great, obviously. I mean, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Yeah. But I want people to look back Mm. and be like, oh, that was a great time we had together. Remember when we created that show? Well, that was like Schoolgirls. Yeah, exactly. Like, like we
2: came in to rehearsal every day. All of us. And we were like, how is this our job? Yeah. We were Mm -hmm.
1: having too much fun. Also, have we worked? We kept being like, is the show (laughs) ready? Because we've just been laughing. We
2: were laughing every day. like we. And the show obviously happened. And it was And it was great. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Now, Rachel you mentioned that you know you were in rehearsals for the the the, the main girl show and that you it you just sort of announced and you don't remember this but you announced <laughs> that you were going to be announced. a writer yeah. and not remembering that but having done it do you what is your recollection of the decision to start writing and and yeah, and yeah. why you felt called to write
2: it's so it's funny like when i hear that memory I'm like, yeah, that sounds like me. Like, I- I'm that person who makes a decision in a moment. And I'm like, I'm going to do this thing. And then I'm like, I'm a bit hard headed about things. So I'm like, once I've started it and I've said it, I'm going to do it. And I follow through. Um, but the first thing I felt was that, oh, my God, I don't know how to write plays. I had written things before. I've written articles. I've written, you know, little short stories for myself. You know, I've written, but I'd never written a play. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. So the first thing I did was find every single playwright's unit under the sun that was available to me in Toronto. And, she and I applied to she it. She did. I, and I really did. I, I did the one at Nightwood. I ended up eventually being at the one at Obsidian. I did the one at the factory. I I oh, may no. be forgetting other ones I I've would been just a part see of. <laughs> her face pop up on my Instagram. <laughs> Playwriting unit, playwriting. I was oh, like, yeah. Rachel, how many playwrights? Oh, Studio 180, <laughs> shout yeah. out to Studio 180. I'm telling you, I've done like almost all the ones that were in Toronto that season, right before COVID, I was in their playwrights unit, Um, or during the pandemic. And it was my way of like going to school to be a playwright because I was like, I don't know how to do this. What I learned in the process of writing plays though, however, is that being an actor and being a performer inherently kind of informed how I w- I would write plays. The biggest mm. comment that I get from people when they read my plays is that my characters are clear and mm-hmm. that they have intention. And I think it's because ha- having been a performer for so many years, the 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 thing we crave as actors is to have an objective. Oh my gosh! Yeah. You know, if your characters don't have an objective, you're like, what what, what is happening? What's yeah. happening with yeah. this person? You know. And so immediately when I go into plays, it starts from a character's perspective, and that's the journey that I'm on. And then I make sure that they have objectives and their arcs are clear and. And as I started doing it, I just, I loved it. It mm. was fun. It was exciting. And and the thing, even before I wanted to write plays, um, something that I really loved was being an actor in workshops. I loved being an actor in workshops. I loved watching playwrights change things on the spot. I loved being in the presence of a room that just felt so alive and mm. thinking about the fact mm. that this, this script in my hands didn't exist at some point. It, this was blank pages on someone's laptop yeah. with that blinking cursor that was probably stressing them out. Yeah. And now it's this tangible thing that I'm holding and I get the privilege to say these words out loud and bring these people to life. And to me, there's something so amazing about new work, mm. you know, like no offense to like Shakespeare and whatever. But like <laughs> these plays, he's fine. He's yeah. Fine. You know, this people have been dead for a hundred years. <laughs> he's, he's fine. There is. It doesn't. As much as I may love like classical text and whatever, it doesn't do the same for me as new plays do. Yeah. Mm. And so I think that when I started to do it, I was like, holy, <laughs> you know, like there's something here. Yeah.
1: And I also, but I also think that that excitement comes from, um, this understanding that there is the, a new branch of storytelling happening and a new space that's being pulled mm. out of mm, the world. Absolutely. So I feel like we've been listening, especially we both went to the National Theater School and the canon of work is very white and it's mm. very uh, European and even the Canadian pieces. Outside, I mean, I'm not to go back to Nina, but I met Nina <laughs> my <laughs> first year at, N- at NTS and she was the only reason why I knew of any other people like Canadian, uh, playwrights of color. And so when for me, the reason why this play moved me for many reasons, but one of the main reasons was this, this, it like opened up this world that no one really sees, but that mm-hmm. I know and know so many people know that world. But I was like, Oh my God, look, now we can look at it, assess it, talk about it. And this art has been created and it feels like the beginning of something new. Like it feels like a generation, especially for African storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's just so exciting to see the nuances and the, sp- and now that we've been given space to do so and resources to do so and leaders of color who are giving us space to do so. And yeah. so it's, it's great. The work is moving forward. That's allowing people to create. Um, more work like this and i'm so excited i'm so excited mm. for to see it
2: yeah me too
1: yeah and also the vastness of the storytelling i mean it's it it's i talk about it a lot but black experiences especially african immigrant experiences in canada represents so many different types of black communities yeah mm. and different black stories and for me what i love about the show is that it's a comedy and it's also about the black community, specifically the Congolese community, and we'll let's say let's say African community, so I can throw myself in there, <laughs> and its accountability to themselves and to the parents. Like I was talking about, like it's young people asking more of their elders in a space where we were raised to sort of be submissive to our parents, especially to our fathers. And so this play get, gives us a chance to break out of that tradition and say, okay, this we this is what we need to address. We have to address this issue and so it's exciting to be in a play where a white antagonist is not surrounding us and we are fighting that which is a valid battle and
0: oh my god it's a
1: forever battle (laughs) (laughs) and it's a necessary story but i'm excited about vast the vast like there's so many more stories that represent the black community and so i'm excited for the world and you know what Excited for the world to see. <laughs> well, you know,
2: I had, um when I did the playwrights unit at Nightwood, um, part of uh, the Right from the Hip program, part of the um, end of that program is that you got to have an interview with, I think at the time they were saying any playwright, you know, alive in the world. Uh, and that they would try their best to get in touch with that person. So I ended up choosing uh, Jocelyn Bio, who wrote Schoolgirls, oh, yeah. that we were in, because uh, I just really wanted to talk to her. And something that she said about that play about schoolgirls was that schoolgirls is about the proximity to whiteness. It's about white supremacy without ever having a white person on stage. Yeah. And that's, I feel like, what you're talking about. Yeah. We can talk about these things because they exist. That's the world that we live in. That's the system we live in. That's the system we live in. And that we navigate and we have to survive in. Yeah. But you don't actually have to put it on stage in that way. Yeah. You know? And it was something, and, you know, it's, this play, Vierge, is about uh, so many things. And one could say it's about the patriarchy and the way that, you know, um, men in in household in, in African households, how men have the first word and the last word, mm. you know. But there are no men on stage in this play. Yeah. This is a cast of four women, mm. you yeah. know. Um And they navigate that system despite the fact that there is no male actor or character on the stage with them, you know. Mm. But it doesn't mean their presence isn't there.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just, I mean, just like, just like, um, uh, you know, the men, the idea of, of men being there, like you're saying, is felt in the same way that, that, uh, the, the white supremacist culture is felt, mm. even without having the white person on stage, like you guys were mentioning.
2: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Um, you guys were talking about, about, you know, being at NTS and how, how, how white sure. it was. And also, I mean, I think that that's, that's, that's not a unique experience uh, in at theater schools across Canada uh, oh, yeah. especially you know uh, uh when i was in school they would be unheard of like we did not see uh i think we had uh two people of color in my entire class of 30 starting in first year and um the the idea of 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 our 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 uh, the theater education being so white it's a blind spot that is that exists because one, most people at the top of those schools are white and they don't see what they don't see because they don't want to and they're not they're not challenged. And often you're, they don't welcome the challenging. Mm. And so it's like you have to there's the 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 process of asking permission to see uh, uh playwrights of color, to see directors of color, that sort of thing, which is is. It is not. It's not the world that I see that we see outside our, our doors. Yeah. Which is what theater should 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 reflect. It should reflect the world outside our doors and not Shakespeare, who my favorite quote of the seven years I've been doing this. This podcast is Shakespeare. He's going to be okay.
1: (laughs) He's going to be. He's going to be all
0: right. Like, that's my favorite quote of seven years. But we there's so much more than just than just that. And yet that's what is studied so often at our theater schools.
1: Well, it's, and it's, it's an inherited gatekeeping. Like it's, it's, you know, I think you made a really good point. There is a choice to see it. It's sort of like when everything came forward, um, during the pandemic with Mm. the murders. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like there, there, it was amazing to me how many people were unaware Mm. of the oppression of people of color. And I remember when I was in theater school, I was in the time where it was like, black people always make things about race. And I remember actually being beaten down so much with that statement. And then I was like, right. you know what? You're right. Like, it's not always about race. Mm-hmm. And then when everything happened during the pandemic, I was like, wow, I really got silenced. Like I really was told to shut up. Um, and, and but I think what surprised me the most is just people's either the, how unaware they were of it but i think to your point about what you're saying about people in theater institutions who are living in these predominantly white spaces some people choose not to see it but some people unconsciously want to hold on oh, to these sure. traditions because they feel like if they let go of that mm-hmm. what will they have mm. and and how do what is that going to look like and i think it scares them more than it excites them yeah and because of that we get stuck in these battles where we're like I guess we have to do checkoff for like contemporary pieces like okay Hmm. yeah
0: that kind of thing makes them important right like it makes they are important because they enforce this this particular uh, 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 white blindness to like they think they're doing diverse pieces but that had some white women in it so there we've met our our diversity yeah uh, yeah. for this piece right so it, it, it's like they're enforcing their own power by keeping that going. And maybe they don't realize it or maybe they do, but like you said, yeah. they're afraid of the change.
1: And I think it's just about being creatively interested. And if you're not creatively interested, taking a step aside, because I think there is something about, I, people feel it. Um People, I, I won't speak generally for people of color. I'll speak for myself. Like I feel it when I walk into a room and a white leader in the space is excited and curious about
0: mm. what,
1: what my role is in the, in this production. Right. And, and also sees me as a black person, not me just playing a neutral white character, mm-hmm. but that excitement is felt. And, and I, for me, that's the thing that I wish I, s- I saw more of. And a lot of what I see is fear. A lot of people are afraid to make mistakes. Mm. A lot of people are afraid to do the wrong thing. Mm. Um, A lot of people don't have enough people of color in their life to lean on and ask questions. (laughs) So they're just panicking and they're like, oh, God, I don't want to be canceled. Um, And I hope that time comes where people do. If there is genuine interest, and I really do feel it in my life when I meet people who Are using me because I'm black or Mm -hmm. they're interested creatively in doing something and they want me to collaborate them in like conversation. I can feel it. And I think that that it's so, it's exciting when there is creative interest. Yeah, absolutely. And that's also, I'm really sorry to bring back Nina, but I'm (laughs) thinking (laughs) about Nina. It's her creative interest in different communities. And when she came to factory, she didn't just do Filipino shows. Like she was hosting many different people that communities that she's not from. Mm. But her creative interest in these communities is what fueled her desire to see more of it. So I think sometimes the white community forgets that we're all not the same. It's not them. And and then all of us and we all understand each other and we get each other's culture. (laughs) I step into spaces where I'm like, I have no idea anything about this culture, but I'm curious about Mm. it. And I chose to be in this room. Mm. So what's up? Like, what's this about? Opposed to, yeah, I just think, Yeah, I just feel like the difference is felt. Yeah.
0: First off, I will say we will not be apologizing at any point for bringing up Nina. There's, there's (laughs) no (laughs) apology necessary.
1: I'm just gonna message her and be like, "So there's a love letter to you on (laughs) tape." Do you wanna? This uh, is the
0: love letter to Nina, and that's that's fine because she deserves it for the work that she's done. Absolutely. Um, you know, the I think you know what you're saying about people being, uh, you know, white people being afraid to fuck up, and it's like you don't learn anything. If you don't fuck up, you have to fuck up. You have to make mistakes, yeah. and you have to be willing to to go to 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 fuck up. Be told that you fucked up, and say, "Yeah, you're right. I did. I'm sorry about that. Let's move on. Let's like, I won't do that again. This is the change I'm making." Yeah. Instead of making a big deal out of it, but actually never changing.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, the truth of the matter is, at least for myself, I, I, I'm not interested in rallying and getting mad at people. I'm tired of being mad Oh, my God. People. It's exhausting. I'm so tired. So you messed up, but your heart's in the right place, and you want to keep learning? Let's yeah. do it. Absolutely. Like, let's do it. My God. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, interestingly, I've noticed, as you were telling me your stories of, of transformation, how you both went from being actors to being a director, to being an actor, sorry, an actor-director, to being a, an actor-writer, I noticed the time frame around all of this that you were mentioning you were doing the, the African mean girls play in 2019. And we all know what happened in 2020. (laughs) Don't we? We all (laughs) diversified, I guess. (laughs) Well, we all had to, but I find it interesting that your transformation, your, your trans transition, your transubstantiation um, occurred during this time when there was uh, a flux and uncertainty and all of these things going on. Plus the black lives matter movement, plus the, like all of these, reactions all of the promises from theater companies that uh we yes. will see what's happening with those <laughs> as yeah. time still goes on
1: we for some yeah. of yes, some we standing by we're still
0: standing by and I'm one of these staying. days one of these days i'm going to do a whole episode where i just like look back at, at june of 2020 and say who made promises Whoa, who are hey, you? Now?
1: that's the thing Listen,
2: that's cute Phil, i do that quite often oh yeah <laughs> I, <we have> <laughs> I check sure. them, who goes to the black square and uh and uh, who's backing uh, it up and who's not yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. And, and of course it's, it's like they're all just hoping that you're just going to forget about it, but it's there. Yeah, 100%. It's still Absolutely. there.
2: Absolutely.
0: Um, where was I going with that? <laughs> oh, it was, it was talking about your, your, your transformations during, yeah. during the pandemic to, to, did you find that the time, because theaters were mostly shut down, doing a few things here and there, trying to get, figure things out. Mm-hmm. Did that time help you to, to to manage the transition or was it just, was that going to happen anyway? Do you think?
2: I, I think for me, it was actually the game changer uh, for my playwriting career. Um, I, I had so much time right before like everything shut down on March 13th or whatever, 2020, I was living in Toronto. I was in two playwrights units at the same time. I was filming a television show in Montreal and I was working at JoJo. I was exhausted. I was, I was like, what is it? Burning the candle at both ends or whatever is the expression? I was exhausted. I was like, I can't do this. And I remember saying to my coworker one day, I had just gotten, I just flown in from Montreal that morning and went straight to work. And I looked at my coworker and I was like, I just need like two weeks off. I just need two weeks off to just get my bearings, get some writing done. I just, I want to be able to jump into this more. I just don't have time and then the universe gave me so much time <laughs> so you know i didn't know what was coming i was like literally when it happened i was like oh look at that i get a break but you know i got like fired from my job i had a bunch of contracts canceled <laughs> like, things went you know poorly but i told myself i was like you know what silver lining i have time to write i wrote the first draft of Vierge in uh from between like i finished it like june of 2020 i then wrote uh like three other plays before the end of that year I think um and then since then I had so much momentum as a playwright Mm. because I had I really had the luxury of time this thing that I had not had before because I was really like hustle 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 go 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 and all of a sudden I was like whoa I can breathe I can think and and I told myself I was like I don't know when this pandemic thing is going to end I thought maybe it'd be six months or so Mm so I was like you know, at the end of these six months, I want to come out of this and say, I did this thing mm-hmm. that everyone kept saying about like, what was it that Shakespeare wrote Lear during a right. plague or yes. whatever? Yes. You know, I don't know if this is my Lear. It might be, um, <laughs> you know, come to the show, find out. But <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely had that thinking. And this is, you know, I'm a perfectionist by nature. So it's not great. But I, I literally came out of it going, I have to finish something during this pandemic. And so I have something to prove what I did with all this time off that I had. So for me, I had so much momentum in the pandemic. I can't believe that I wrote as many plays as I did. Yeah. It's a little crazy. crazy. It is. Mm. Um, once they're all on stage, I'm probably going to retire from playwriting because <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm going <good laughs> to be. I did it. it. I did it. Here's yeah. the gift. Here's <laughs> the know? The gift, y'all. But yeah, I don't know if I would have had as much time. I don't know if all these plays would exist if that hadn't happened, which is crazy. I don't want to say I'm grateful for it, but I'm, I'm. It was useful. Uh, yeah. It, the time was useful yeah. for me. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Natasha, how about you?
1: Wow. It was just a time of diversification, Phil. My <laughs> God. Um, yeah. So I, what did I do? I was in the apprentice program here at Factory. So I was studying to be an artistic director. Uh, and then I had already known at that point that I was really digging directing. So, and I was like, it's not time for artistic direction yet. I'm not ready for a marriage. That's what I call it. Um, <laughs> oh, it's just, it's a real commitment. And I was like, I feel like I want to flex. I want to go out and I want to, you know, try things see out. Other people. I want to see other people before I commit to this marriage. Um, <laughs> so then I, I started writing myself. I wrote my first play. Um, I did not write 15 plays like Rachel did. <laughs> uh, one nearly killed me. <laughs> it was like, yikes. Um, yeah, so I did that. And then I got into dramaturgy, which is which I feel it's all kind of connected. Mm. Um, dramaturgy, playwriting, and directing. I feel like it's all just in a bag. Um, <laughs> and it all informs each other. And yeah. I think what each one makes each one stronger. Um, I think my dramaturgy makes my directing strong, and my acting also makes my dramaturgy strong. And it's just it's great. So I I really dig living in this world. And then I got into film and TV too, which has been great, um, which is a new love. I don't know why it's a metaphor of relationships here, but <laughs> it's a new person that I started seeing, which is kind of exciting. Um, and I fell in love with camera, with mm. camera. I did not see that coming. Um, it was sort of just the thing, the thing to do. Laws. It's not an easy industry to break into <laughs> at all. Like, but I'm very grateful I did. And when I got into it, I I was amazed by how much it spoke to me, and I really got into the world. So that was great. Right. It was nice to have that because film was. I'm sorry, uh, theater was gone. Yeah. So, and yeah. film was essential. Like it became yeah. essential so we could shoot. And so my agent who brought me to my agency, he's the film agent. And he was like, this is perfect. Film is gone. So now. <laughs> you mean theater is gone. Sorry, theater is gone. So now <laughs> it's just you and I. And I was like, great, let's do it.
0: Um,
1: yeah. And so I got into that and I've been able to do that and continue doing that, which has been really, really great.
0: Mm. Yeah. It sounds like you both had, uh, uh, at least for some of the pandemic, especially, uh, Rachel, this really, uh, uh flourishing, uh, uh, time of creativity. I'm a little jealous. I spent <laughs> the first two weeks certain that we were only going to be shut down for two weeks and we're going to beat this thing. Yeah. And, and then, um, uh, I spent the next six months, setting, I guess six weeks doom scrolling, unable to actually do anything. The thought of doing something creative was just like yeah, too, too much. Um, but, uh, and I think there, there, there were two different ways of seeing it. Cause you can really fall into social media and be yep. like, everything yep. is terrible and just yeah. sort of like, just keep going like that. Or you can put the phone down. And yeah, like yeah. concentrate on something beautiful. And it sounds yeah, like yeah. like like that's what happened here, which is I mean, great. The
1: pandemic was a rough time to be human. It was yes, yes. it was not our shining moment as human. No, beings. As, as humanity, yeah, no, we not, failed.
2: We
0: failed
1: of...
2: terribly. But you know, not to bring it back to Nina again, but <laughs> <laughs> at, at the time, um, the foundry, so like it was I think it must have been like early March. We had our last foundry meeting. Like, so it yes, was me and the yeah. other playwrights who we were still in the building, and Nina was like you know, I think this COVID thing, or what was it? Coronavirus was what we were calling yeah, it at like the time. Yeah, you know, she's like, I think it might be getting serious. Mm. Um, So she was like, maybe next week or for our next session, we'll do it online. She's like, we'll see. We'll play it by ear and whatever. So obviously we all know what happened. And obviously I think they left factory and everyone was out of the building yeah. and whatnot. Mm. Um, and so Nina emailed us and she was like, let's take a little bit of time for all of us to like, you know, get our bearings and reset while these things are happening. And mm-hmm. we will check in, I think probably end of March or something. And then eventually, Nina said, listen, we're still doing this thing. We're going to do it virtually instead. Oh, yeah. And we're going to keep going. And it, it was that. That's what kept me writing. Because I think if mm. Nina had said, oh, sorry, guys, we're just going to call it quits, you know, like, you know, maybe next season for your plays or whatever, yeah. I maybe wouldn't have finished. Yeah. Hmm. But she was like, no, we're going to keep going. But the thing is, she led with such grace in that time. Like, I remember there was one session I was supposed to be there. We we're supposed to read my play and something had happened due to the pandemic in my life. And I called Nina. I was like, I can't do this. She was like, you know, take your time. It's all good. Like we will be here and it's not a problem. And so I also felt really supported in my creation of my work. It wasn't like I had to be as productive as I, as I was being prior mm-hmm. to the pandemic, like go, go, go. It wasn't that. But she offered me a space and a way to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have some balance in my life because I had nothing to do all day. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there was a quite a bit of like, you know, drinking rose and living my best <laughs> night that was happening at the beginning at the of pool? the Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, like at the beginning uh, of the pandemic, I was like, cool, it's a break. Like, let me have this rosé and chill, you know? So it, it allowed me to have some structure to my days. Mm. It allowed me to to be back in that creative space with my other uh, members of the foundry who are my friends. We were doing commiserating with and figuring mm. out all this stuff with. And it was just like this. It felt like we were still in the theater kind of, you know? Um, But yet it was at, at that time that I had actually moved back to Montreal. So I wasn't even in uh Toronto anymore, but I still felt really connected. And so it was so important because I think that's how I got to the finish line with that first draft. Um, and that's what ultimately gave me the inspiration and the, and the confidence really Mm. to feel like I can keep doing this. I wrote this play. Um, and it's, you know, it's not too shabby. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I can do a few more. Um, Mm. but I mean, like that's so funny that that first draft, like I really thought that I was done writing. Like I Truth. thought, yes, I thought I wrote that first draft and I was like, great. Where's this my, where's my governor general's award? I air. thought it was it. And now 13 drafts later.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> important question. Important question. How long did it take for you to f- have finished that first draft? Think that that was it. You're done. Where's your governor general's award uh, <laughs> to be, uh, 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 have that, that, that thought like taken away to realize there's more to do. <laughs>
2: I, oh, so we would have, so we, we finished, I finished writing, I think it was June of 2020. So then I had a meeting with Nina and Matt, I think like August of 2020. Oh, wow. And they asked me if I wanted to do, um, to be in residence at Factory. And I was like, okay. And when I started the residency, I was like, what? what's Matt? going to say, like, what notes is he going to get? Oh, what
1: notes? You know, I was like, okay, I'll do Honestly, this. Honestly, I remember when I read the draft, I was like, I have no notes.
0: <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> I was you know. not up. I was like, so much strong. Change. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a strong
2: first it draft. It was compared it really to other place. It was a very strong first draft. Yeah. But it was not <laughs> where it needed to be. Um, so that said, I think it was like maybe halfway through the residency that I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like there was so much more to mine to figure out, to get specific about to make sure that it's tight. And the whole time that I was in the residency, I also didn't know that I was going to go into production eventually. So I was really just like trying to make the play better. I wasn't concerned about it being on stage. Um, But I think like less than a year, but mm-hmm. you know, it was mm-hmm. quite some it was months. Impressive, dude. There was quite some months where, but I didn't know what I was doing. Like I I miss that naivete that I had when really? I was first writing that play. I do. Because I didn't know what I was doing yet. And it was all just like, there was no pressure to it. It was like I was free to be creative and to explore. And like getting notes from Matt was so fun. Like yeah. the dramaturgical notes were so fun for me. Yeah. Because I was like,
1: okay, I'm gonna make it better. Like yeah. I was like a kid, like, like in this a candy. Is store. Cute. Yeah. This, is fun. So, this is great. Now, now people I'm are like, like, your drafts need to be ready. You need to I'm get like, this done. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> now people are
2: sending emails. They're like, Rachel, we need Where's draft? our draft? Where's our draft, Rachel?
0: It's amazing what you yeah. can do when you don't know what you don't know.
2: Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah.
0: And one of the things that, that, that I love to hear, the, the stories that I love to hear from, from performers, from people in theater are their origin stories. Like, what is it that, um, that started you on the path, uh, to theater? What it, what, what, what started that, that journey to where you are now? So I'm curious for you guys, what, for each of you, what was the thing that made you interested in theater and how did that turn into, I'm going to do this?
1: I feel like my father would want me to say my grandfather used to be a performer. And I mean, my dad always says a story to me about how my grandfather was known in his community to be like the theatrical one. Um, And he's like, you make sense to me now. <laughs> but the origin of my, you know, it's a good question. I don't really know when um I decided, I remember there was, I was in a boarding school in Zambia in this town called Mazabuka and it's um, my little boarding school was nestled inside, um, a sugar cane plantation. And we, there were, there was this play that they put on Peter Pan as if no one's have heard of, no one's ever heard of it. There's this play named Peter Pan. I played, I don't know if anybody knows Wendy. Yeah, I played Wendy. Um, and I just remember doing it and really having a good time. And kind of thinking nothing of it. And then one of the teachers there told my mom, she was like, she seems to like really enjoy this. And I think she's actually pretty good at it. Like, just keep an eye on that. And my mom is always very good about that. So she would put me in like artistic spaces. And uh we thought maybe it was a musical instrument. It was not. It was definitely not the flute. Um And and then I came back to acting. I joined an improv troupe when I was in uh, high school in Texas. And. And the rest of it just it kept rolling along. Wow. Yeah.
0: Mm. And and just just it's one thing to be a child and to and to think this is fun. Um, it's another thing to make the decision you, that yep. you know I'm going to do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to school yeah. and this is going to be my career. At yeah. what point did you make that decision?
1: You know, it's kind of similar to Rachel not remembering the story about her on stage. There's a moment that my mom reminds me of constantly, which is kind of the anchor of my career, like my career is I remember she remembers we were in the kitchen in our house in Dallas and she felt her spirit say, ask Natasha what she wants to do and whatever it is, support her. Hmm. Um, And she asked me what I wanted to do. And I was like, I think I want to be an actor. And she was like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> it was a trap. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a trap. And ever since she has never looked back she has sort of been the guiding light for me to keep going. And that conversation has been an anchor for me. And so I feel like I'm in purpose. I feel like I'm doing what I was created to mm. do. And I feel like it's the beginning of many more expressions of my artistic expression. It feels like there is more coming. And so I just feel aligned. I feel mm. like, you know, it helps that the woman who birthed me also feels that way. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it does. It brings me joy. I love people. I I love storytelling. I love i i really was thinking about this as i was watching wakanda forever
0: Uh.
1: like i am so excited to be a black woman right now Mm. it's just incredible to have even when i auditioned for film and tv i know that there was a time before where black women were not getting interesting parts Mm. and i think about like the viola davises and the lupita Narongos and the denai Guerrero's and People who are just mm. making ways for us, mm. and we're getting stuff that's just meaningful, and and so it's just exciting to also see them starting to get their flowers and their mm-hmm. space. And I and for me, that's what like watching that movie was for me. I was mm. like, look at this time, yeah. like what a beautiful time to be an African woman and a and 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 a black uh, yeah a black creator. Mm. Yeah. Wow.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, I love that. Yeah.
2: Um, my origin story is not as, um, lovely <laughs> as I think. <laughs> um, it's really, it's so uh, my father, uh, was a judge and a lawyer. Well, a lawyer first and then a judge. And then my family immigrated to Canada. He worked, um, as well in, in the law. And one of my brothers went to law school. And I just like, I had come from a family of like lawyers and like people who are working for government and this sort of thing, which is all very lovely. Um, and a, I think they would have much preferred that I either had gone to law school hmm. or, you know, to medical school or, you know, whatever. Something with consistent money, probably. Hmm. Um, but I, I, when I was in high school, so I went to high school in Quebec and I also have an early birthday. So I graduated high school, I was 16, um, which is very young Whoa, to yes. me. Yeah, very young to make a decision oh, wow. my gosh. about your life. Um, And so, yeah. So when I was in my last years of high school, I was in physics, I was in chemistry, and I was like, my dad was like, you have to take these classes because if you choose to become a doctor someday, fingers crossed, uh, you'll have, you already have taken your high school chemistry and physics. But when I had started my last year of high school, I was like sitting there and it was like, I was not understanding anything. You might as well have been speaking like <laughs> Italian to me. You no. know what I mean? I was it's like, I don't understand these numbers. It's not making sense. It's not connecting. Yeah, And I just kept thinking to myself, like, I have to choose. What I'm going to go do in CEJEP, which is in Quebec before university, I'm like, I'm going to have to choose what I'm doing to in Cégep, and I have to do that for the rest of my life. And I just knew that whatever it was, I wanted to be happy. And so I ended up switching and going into my high school had this thing called Actor Studio. And it was like an acting program, like a small acting program you can do in school. And I switched. I dropped my chemistry. I dropped my physics. And I went into Actor Studio. But because I was coming into it in my last year of high school, of course, you know, there are no good parts for me other kids who had been there for years fighting yeah. for their part they got their parts they'd earned them mm-hmm. well the first show I ever did was with Wh- Peter Pan no
1: it was not <laughs> Peter Pan.
2: <laughs> no it was the witches by Roald Dahl mm. oh yes and I played the narrator mm. and no one from my high school remembers that I was in that play um oh, but it is the play that changed my life you I mean, know, is, Wow! you know wow. I remember being in that play um I just remember being on stage and feeling like, whoa, this is what I wanna do. Feeling that sense of being on stage and people are listening to you and you have their attention and what you say and do can have people laughing and cry I just was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. So I applied to Sage to for for the acting program um that they had at, at um John Abbott College. And that was my moment, you know, and you know, my parents cried about it and
0: they,
2: mm. you know, <laughs> they, they mourned, they mourned, yeah. you know, the loss of their lawyer doctor, daughter. Yeah. Doctor, lawyer, doctor, engineer, engineer daughter. Yeah. Um, it's amazing
0: how you were going to do all three of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. exactly. You can do anything. <laughs>
2: exactly. And then, you know, eventually I ended up, so I did that program. And then eventually I ended up going to NTS, but the year that I went to NTS, i also applied to law school. Uh, and I got in like, yeah, with a scholarship.
0: I got Yeah.
2: And I remember I said to my dad, I was like, okay. If I go to law school, will you pay for it? And he's like, what? No. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to acting school. <laughs> if I have to get a student loan, it's going to be for what I want.
0: Yes. So I just like,
2: <laughs> you know, I said earlier that I'm stubborn. Like, I definitely am stubborn. I'm hard-headed. And the thing is, because my parents weren't super enthusiastic about me going into the arts, I was like, I'm, I have to make it worthwhile. Hmm. Like, this has to be, I have to be so good and so... Um, a successful, excellent, whatever it is. So my parents go, oh, okay, wow, this is what she's meant to do, you know. Um, yeah, and they have definitely come around, but it was a journey. To get now, here.
0: in an alternate universe, <laughs> sure. in the somewhere in the multiverse, your father said, "Yes, I will pay for that." In that universe, did you then go? Well, you're also would you also pay for theater school since you did yeah, that? no.
1: <laughs> what would you have done? Would you have gone? Yeah, I would have gone to law school. Wow. wow. Yeah, I think no, you I do going. you
0: think you would have? become a lawyer or would you do you think that like your heart wouldn't have been in it the way it would have been for theater
2: i think i would have come back around to the theater eventually you have a good brain for a lawyer though. i do and i have an argument i do <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot in this place so.
0: oh,
2: yeah. i do I argument. D- there is this part of me that is like i i you know yeah, i was meant to be a lawyer on some level yeah. hmm. i think about it i'm like i would have been miserable at some
1: Point, but I would have been wealthy, so I don't know. Maybe that would have balanced I it feel out. like <laughs> it's true, and also the theatrics of you know, yeah, being in the courtroom, yeah, for sure, getting the audience's attention oh, in that yeah. way. It's, it's very similar, and then me. also live. Mean, I feel like you could make it social. You know what yeah. I mean? Get into those cases that really matter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you should have been an <laughs> I mean, it worked out a lot. Remember.
2: Oh, was that during school? I was working at the law firm? Yes, I can't remember. Yes, I think so. I yes. think so. I, I worked at a law firm. And that's when I, I mean, it was in Toronto. It was a real estate law firm. You know, no shade to those people. They were very nice. But I was like, yeah, this is not for me. Hmm. Um, I made the right choice in being an actor. Uh, it just makes me happier. Um, Yeah. And I think if anything, the pandemic really, really convinced me that this is what I'm meant to do. It's right. the thing that brings me joy. Hmm. Like when the world was confusing and dark, it was creativity. It was theater that got me up out of bed every morning it gave me something to do it gave me purpose you know it's like what Natasha said like I am aligned I feel so aligned when I am working in the theater when I'm working creatively you know whether that's film or tv honestly or being on stage like when we're doing our thing like yeah I'm like yeah this is what I'm meant to do I was put on this earth it's,
1: yeah even mm-hmm. us kicking in this hall yeah. yeah as we're laughing at your play over and over I know again. we <laughs> Natasha and I laugh at these jokes if, in this show If no one will be laughing in the audience Rachel if, and I yeah we, we be will be <laughs> Is that vanity? We don't know. But no, don't we're have... having a
0: great time. I remember years ago, a uh, number of years ago, you know, being involved with the theater company. We were creating this show. We created film, uh, plays in the cell of silent film. And we thought they were hilarious. But then you would know that, like, the first time you perform it, you're like, we think this is funny. But
2: People?
1: Yeah.
0: We, yeah. nobody's seen this outside of us yet. And there would be this, like, everybody holding our breath backstage until it was the first laugh. And they'd be like, okay, 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 we're okay. But it's yeah. terrifying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even got there in our mind. I was like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> there will come a point we'll be backstage. Well, we won't be. We won't be backstage. Won't backstage. <laughs> you know. Right? I know. We're
2: yeah. talking about it today. We're like, yep, when the show opens, we're gone. <laughs>
0: yeah. Your work right. is done.
2: Yeah. yeah. Our job is over. Our job's the job. Just keep saying it like we're yeah, doing everything <laughs> together. Last <laughs> Yeah.
0: Well, Rachel, Natasha, thank you so much for joining me. This has been, uh, this conversation has been a lot of fun and I really appreciate it.
2: Oh, thank you, Phil. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a treat.
1: Yeah.
0: This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at stageworthypod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Rickaby, And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy.